0: Let us ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanksgiving that you have called us into your presence. We rejoice in your grace and mercy for the forgiveness of our sins for Jesus' sake. We ask now that your holy word, sharp as a two-edged sword, cut us up, rearrange us, and conform us to your son Jesus. Lord, please bless the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all our hearts. May they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let us here today hear two passages, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and Chronicles chapter 29, verses 27 and 28 the word of the lord let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest any one fall according to the same example of disobedience for the word of god is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart and there is no creature hidden from his sight But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. <coughs> Excuse me. And then also 2 Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 27. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of Yahweh also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshiped, the singer sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this c- continued until the burnt offering was finished. So we have two passages here, and we're going to explain some of what's going on in these passages. Um, but I want us to think carefully through what we're doing here today. Leonard Payton, in his book, Reforming Our worship music, speaks to the habits of Americans and how we approach our lives, which includes how we frequently determine how we worship. Uh, Leonard says this, he says, we, this is Americans, we demand choice. This is about all of life. We must have the right to choose. Truth be told, we are far more concerned that we be allowed to choose than we are about making the right choice. When we hear this quote, it rings of the demanding by some to have the choice to kill their children, their babies. We also hear in this demand for choice that there are people that wish to determine their own realities of existence their own genders, their own identities, even to the extreme of cutting off body parts of children and teens. It is not about this right of choice, that is to say they are not determining these things about really the right to choice, but rather that they must have the right to choose these things. They're not trying to make the right decision. They're just demanding we must have this choice, this option. This morning, we would say that God's Word provides the ethical moorings to determine what things are good and what things are right decisions. We, as the people of God, must apply the same perspective, that is to say, that God's Word informs us in how we worship. We must allow God's Word to inform us to the pattern and methods of worship. Today we're going to continue our study concerning the five parts of the Lord's Day service. We've already studied the call, where God calls us both as the elect to be Christians and also how he calls us as his people to assemble together in worship. We've learned about the confession. Last week we learned how we must confess our sins and how every week we go out from God's presence, and even if we are working towards conforming to the Scriptures and the living according to His Word, that we do sin, and our garments become dirty, and then we go and come back to His house, and of course we can't get in past the threshold with our garments dirty and covered with sin, so we must confess it. Today, we're going to be talking about the consecration. That is to say, the ascension. We're going to make this, you know know how people go, they like to have things that work out. So we have five C's, right? So we've got the call, confession, consecration, communion, and commissioning. And so I'm going to consent to using the word consecration right now, but really what we are talking about is after confession, we are ascending into God's presence. We are going through that threshold and entering in to the throne room of God. And then finally, communion, the table of peace, and our commissioning out. to Go and glorify God. Those are the five parts. So we need to discuss today ascending into the heavenlies by faith. Once we have confessed our sins and been forgiven and cleansed, we as the congregation, every Lord's Day, after we've confessed our sins, we are ascending up into the heavenlies of, of the Lord. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 in just a second. But I want to point something out to you. I'm going to implore you. Remember when we talked about the call? And we talked about how you need to be prepared, right? So that you're not driving your spouse or your children. First of all, you become impatient because you didn't prepare and You're yelling at your kids, get in the car, find your shoes. Stop uh, pulling on your brother's hair or whatever. Kind of hard for some of you boys with those buzz cuts, though. But, But we must be prepared so that we are on time. Imagine this. Think about this process. We are called as God's people to come together. Okay? And if you're not providentially hindered, that means things you can't control that God has put in your path. Sickness right, you're driving down the road and you have a flat tire. Now, I'm going to just talk about the flat tire for a second. If Saturday you walked by and saw your tire a little little low and you thought, man, I'll have to just check on that later. That's not being prepared for service. People of God, don't be late for church. What happens if you are not here for the confession and you come in after confession? Are you cleansed to come into the presence of the Almighty, to ascend into the heavenlies? People of God, be on time. Hebrews 12.22 says this. Now we're looking at the heavenlies, ascending into the heavenlies by faith. Hebrews 12.22. But you have come to the Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, And the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You know, we cannot see the church eternal, nor the angels, or all the glory of the throne room of God, but God this morning has drawn us up into his presence. You look around, you see those walls. You know there's a hill over here, so there's dirt. There's a little bit of light coming through these doors over here. And then there's another hill. We're kind of built into this hill. But in fact, we are in the presence of God. All those saints from the past. Because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So they are in heaven. And we and every other church on earth today, even though they are in other geographic locations, we are together together the temple of God, living stones, as it says in Peter. And we are all in the temple, and we are all in God's presence, and we are all worshiping today where God the Father is, where Jesus the Son is, and he has welcomed us in because we have confessed our sins before him. You know, for many of us, even those who have spent their lives in the church, this is not how we have understood what God is doing on the Lord's Day. We've often thought of church as a place where we go to sing some songs, hear a sermon, in some cases more like TED Talks, and maybe have communion. We have not understood our call, our need to be prepared, or the fact that we show up to the threshold of God's throne in our dirty clothes. Nor have we heard or imagined that when we confess that we ascend into God's presence. This may be why we are so lax, about not paying attention, or even without necessity, getting up and wandering out of the service. We think that if I'm not providentially hindered, let me, let me, I'm going to back up, and I'm just going to do this one, totally extemporaneous, the people of God, when we come in here and we ascend into God's presence, we confess our sins, we ascend up. I want you to recognize, and I'm going to say this first, really direct, Then I'm going to come back with a little clarity of grace. Children, look at me. Everybody, look up here. When we confess our sins and we ascend into the heavenlies in this room together with all the congregation of God, right? And you're feeling a little uncomfortable and you say, I want to go get a drink of water. I got to go to the back and see if there's a snack in the kitchen in the back. Or I just got to get up and stretch my legs. And you get up and you leave your row. It's like you're doing this. You're in God's heaven and you're throwing an escape ladder out and you're climbing down and you're going away. And you're walking out of God's presence. And then whenever you're done, whatever it is you're doing, you look for that ladder and you try to climb back up and enter into God's presence. Now, that seems like overkill in my description. All right, so now I'm going to speak grace and then come back to the point. Parents, you have little babies. They need to eat. They're fussing and you need to discipline them and you need to care for them. That's God's providential plan in your life. You have to get up. You got to go out and deal with that. God's grace is extended to you. As we get older, don't work the way they used to do, we might need to step out. Right? You might find yourself in a lot of pain and you just have to get up. That happens as our bodies begin to break down. That's God's call. That's His providential work in your life. But people of God, and there can be a variety of other things that God just places in your life that you have to deal with. But children, are you listening again? I know. So I see this head's back. Don't just, like, I know this, if we went and took you to the movie theater, most of you, no problem, would be able to sit through that movie without getting up, without going to the bathroom, and if you ran out of something to drink, you'd be okay there too. So parents, just like when you go into the movie theater and you say, i got to take all my kids to the restroom, i got to make sure they're fed so they don't eat me out of house at home with all that popcorn i got to buy. Feed your kids before you come to church, and if they need a snack, there's a half hour between Sunday school and church. And again, small children, that's a little bit different. When I say small, I'm talking, you know, two and So children, are you listening? Pay attention. The other thing I want to say while I've got your attention, listen to the sermons we're teaching. As we're giving you God's Word, what are we doing? Right now we've been teaching us, why we do what we do, Why what's happening when we come into church here together. Right. Some of you are, this is old hat, although it's really good to hear the scriptures that support it. For some of you, you're newer to this, and these are kind of new concepts. Pay attention. For you young people, we're really tangibly putting God's word on these things, so pay attention. We don't want to unnecessarily Leave out of the presence of the Almighty God. But when the call comes, and it's your responsibility, it's your providence that God's placed in your life, step out, do what you have to do. God's grace is extended. But we need to take this seriously. We need to understand that we are coming into God's presence. To do what? To hear and sing his word. Have it taught and expound All these things. We're going to go into this a little further. You know, when we enter into God's presence, what do we do? We sing in the heavenlies with the whole church. That passage there in Hebrews 12 talks about who all's there. So we are there singing together. Colossians 3.16 tells us this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We should certainly be singing God's hymn book, the Psalms. We should sing hymns and spiritual songs which teach us God's word and doctrine. The Psalms themselves are doctrinally dense. We should, whether we understand it at all, whether we understand it all yet or not, should sing and believe God's permanent truth, the Bible. Now one thing about the Psalms right now in the summertime, what we do for adult Sunday school is we're teaching, I'm going through and we're teaching through the Psalms. And I, I know I've heard from a number of people that talk about how edified they are as we go through this and we consider God's justice, His firmness, His mercy and grace, His deliverance, His forgiveness. And how he has done it in the past for others, done it in the past for us, is doing it now, and will continue to do it in the future. Be edified, sing, and study. I would tell you this too look around. Children, pay attention. Parents, pay attention here. Right? Many of us didn't grow up in a church that sang the Psalms on a regular basis. And sometimes we struggle because it's hard. Again, in Sunday school, the kids are upstairs learning psalms and hymns together. We are bringing up and catechizing our children to know and sing God's word. That's going to bless them immensely. It's going to help them stand firm in Christ. They're going to know it. They're going to know God's word because they're singing it so much better than we do. By the way, over time, and we saw this at the last psalm sing, where the kids who had been learning a song, we sang it together. and It was kind of new to the adults. Man, and the kids carried the room. Am I right? It was great. It carried the room. We should sing the Psalms and songs that speak of God's word, truth, and teachings. One more thing about the Psalms. Let's consider this. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30, it says this, Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled, the wisdom of all men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, how many of you are at least familiar with that concept? He was the wisest guy, right? One Solomon. But the very next verse tells us this of verse 31 For he was wiser than all men. And then it gives us four people that he's being compared to. He was wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, and Chalcol and Dardra, the sons of Mahal, and his fame, that of Solomon's, was in all the surrounding nations. Now, we don't really know who Calcol and Darda were, but they are listed. But The other two are, that are listed are two musicians who are considered to be great, wise men, right up there to be the ones that Solomon's compared to. So Haman, he wrote, by the inspiration of the Spirit, Psalm 88. Ethan the Ezraite wrote Psalm 89. Both of those psalms are dense with the truths of God and what he does in our lives. So when you think about it, when you're singing the psalms, you are getting immense wisdom from God about your life and how to view the world. And we know this, it's easier to memorize something when we sing it. We must sing God's word to respond to God in thanksgiving, in joy, and even in sorrow. And the Psalms cover all of those. We are to catechize or disciple each other in God's word by singing. We don't want to simply sing ourselves into an emotional state detached from thinking. I'm not suggesting that that's going on in in every other church out there, but we should guard ourselves to not just be simply singing without thinking. And maybe sometimes we do, like small children or even ourselves, we find ourselves humming or singing a song, right? But we, won't, we don't simply, especially in God's house, in the presence of the assembly, be at a place where we're detached from thinking. Words matter. Words matter. We are to be acknowledging God, His truths, and all His promises in His Word. And this honors God, and it hides it in our hearts, so that as it says in Psalm 119.11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now we also know this, that God's word cuts us up and rearranges us by the word expressed in psalms, hymns, the word read, the word taught, and the word summarized. Now that word summarized I'm referring to as the creeds. Now, you know, we get into this habit, we recite those creeds, whether it's the Apostle or Nicene Creed that we say together, but you know, those are coming directly out of God's Word. For anybody interested, I've got some copies of text references for the Apostles' Creed up here in the windowsill by near where I sit. If we need more later, I can print some more, but it's right there for you if you want to take a look at that. But Romans 12, 1 tells us this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here, to know the perfect will of God, right? we're going to have our our minds transformed, they're renewed, right? And, And in all of this, it's about being a sacrifice. Remember when we studied Leviticus 7 and Leviticus 9, when we were setting up how worship is to be done? But in those passages in Leviticus 7 and 9, it gives very specific directions of how to cut up the sacrifices. Blood is shed, and there's instructions about what to do. And it is for a covering of sin. Some of the parts of the sacrifice that are cut up are burned up. Others are arranged in a certain fashion. Other parts are eaten. And other parts are carried out and cast into the wilderness. Let's talk about God's word in the Lord's day service. And I want to name it a little more clearly for us. God's Covenant Renewal Service, and we'll talk more about that later at another time. But we need to hear God's Word. God's Word, the Bible, is the living revelation of Jesus. And I've mentioned this in times past, but I want to bring it to your attention now that reading is an individualistic act. You read to yourself. That's not something we do in community. If we were to come together on Lord's Day service and I said, okay, everyone open up your Bibles and I want you to read silently in your head, that would not be productive for the body. But hearing God's Word builds up the community. You know, sometimes we even need to hear God's Word. And by the way, I'm not discouraging us from going home and reading our Bible, but I encourage you, read it aloud to others. Read it with your family, your spouse, and sometimes just to yourself out loud so you can hear it. Because as we hear others read it, we are edified. We are strengthened. Things are pointed out. One of my my most favorite Old Testament scholars, James Jordan, he tells a story, and, 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 and if you're unfamiliar with that guy, he has an uncanny ability to make connections of the Scriptures. And he talks about how he was, some years ago, um, doing a, a teaching somewhere, all kinds of people there. And he look, this little girl comes up to him afterwards and says, so I, I have a question. They were talking about Genesis 3, and it talks about how the serpent was going to be eating the dust of the earth. And she comes up and says, Mr. Jordan, sir, I have a question. If, if, if the serpent's supposed to eat dust, and man is made of dust, does that mean that Satan is a man-eater? And he'd never made that connection yet. Parents, you've certainly had times, I hope, as you've read the scriptures to your kids, where your kids have asked you a question and you have like, boy, I hadn't considered that before. That's pretty insightful. right? So be careful about in, in, in corporate settings where God's word is being spoken and read. Don't look down on others around you for that. Recognize that we can be edified um, at home and in other areas by all kinds of people. Certainly here today, when we're in God's presence, we need to hear it. Hearing is an act of submission. Unless we close our ears, put our fingers in our ears, right? That's rebellion to whoever's speaking. I mean, right now, you guys have given me lots of authority to speak in your life. You know why? Because I'm talking and you're quiet. I have the power in this situation get to that in a second, because that's scary power. But we need to recognize that when we hear God's words read and sung and spoken to us here today, part of what we are doing is submitting to God, which is why we need to pay attention. Kids, you want to hear what God's word is saying. You want to sing those songs vigorously. Even some of you adults, there's a few out there that I noticed don't like to sing. God is not measuring your musical ability. Sing with vigor. And you'll learn it over time. And even if you don't, it's okay. So listen, God's Word is supreme authority in all things. We need to have a total openness to the Bible. That is, we have to submit to it. I've told you this before. I'm going to reiterate it right now. If you hear something in God's Word, or you read it, and you're like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with, that, with, with what that passage is saying. It makes me uncomfortable. Go and speak to two or three people you respect with knowledge of the word. And if they tell you and confirm what your understanding is and you're still uncomfortable with it, time to change you. Don't try to attempt to change God's word. We need to have no bibliophobia. We cannot have any parts of the scripture that we're afraid to read. One of the things that the modern readers do and in and, and many places that are studying God's Word, they want to cut it all up. And Then they want to say, well, this is okay. This appeals to me. This is what my itching ears want to hear. But I don't want to read Paul or any of the epistles. And I don't want to read parts of the Old Testament. And I've seen this taken all the way to the point where a bishop in a certain church actually said, oh, you know, we got to do away with that bloody cross thing because... Because that's just simply barbaric, and we have evolved past this. Know all of God's word for all of your life. My last admonition is this. Remember this that the verses and chapters are man-made and sometimes are very unhelpful. So I encourage you, and you'll find you've seen me do this, right? We have a passage, this is what we're studying today, and I'll frequently read. The the part before to you, and I'll make references as we get to the end of what's happening afterwards. And I'll even make the point: what, how does it, how does this fit into the whole book that we're studying? We need to recognize. Don't just get caught up. If you're always starting all your Bible reading at home, or even us here, if we're all just doing chapter, starting at chapters, the thoughts are broken quite frequently in what the theme in the passage is trying to say. You know, we also know that during this time of ascension that we bring praise and petitions to our loving Father and we don't do it as someone who is far away. It's not like we're down here and we have to holler. God, can you hear me? No. Now the Lord in one sense is always with you. He's on the present and he hears you. But when we come together as the people of God in this special called time and we are ascended into his presence, we are in the heavenlies And we can speak to God just like He's right here in the room with us because He is. Our passage today in Hebrews 4, verse 16 says this Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We have been forgiven and brought into God's presence, and we do so boldly not because of our works but because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can go boldly into his presence and bring these prayers and petitions. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. We need to remember this in Romans 8, 34. It says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? The scripture says, who also makes intercession for us. So when we enter into this place of ascension, into his presence, the Father is there, the Son is there, and he's making intercession for us. It's sort of like we're over here. For Jesus' sake, for what God did through his son Jesus, for what Jesus did to save us, not because we're righteous, but because of his goodness and his righteousness, we're asking you to meet these needs. Be merciful to us. Heal this person. Bless that baby. Help those churches over there. You know, we pray for our churches here. and Sometimes you're like, man, we can hardly pronounce these things. But I pointed out in Sunday school this morning, I couldn't share it because of the, the time factor and the, the difficulty of it. But our pastor, fellow pastor in the CREC Church in Belarus, had to flee Belarus this past weekend. The Belarusian KGB was threatening his family in heaven for some time, but it became so intense that he grabbed up his kids and they fled over the border and received asylum into Poland. And one of our sister churches in Poland is caring for them right now. So when we pray for these churches, we're praying that God bless them, that God protect them. Sometimes we're even up here praying for the persecuted peoples that we know around the world. Bring these to God. And it's not because we're so good and so righteous, it is because of the righteousness of Christ that we can so boldly come into the throne room of God and bring these petitions to Him. You know, we also see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this: that even when we were dead in trespasses, that's he, that's God, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you were saved. And raised us up together and made us, guess what, sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So when we ascend into his presence and the Father is there and all the other choirs are there and the angels are there and we're bringing these petitions, the Father, the Son, the adopted sons and daughters of Christ, we're able to bring these petitions to our loving Father. What a blessing we can do it confidently when we bring these prayers and petitions it's not wishful thinking listen in john first john 5 beginning verse 14 it says this now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him so we need to recognize that we can rest assured and we say in his will, this is where, and we were talking about this in the Sunday school lesson today with Psalm chapter 17, how we want to say when God brings challenges in our life, we're gonna conform ourselves to his will and we're going to trust him through the trials and difficulties, but well, we are gonna ask him for relief. We are gonna say, Lord, have I sinned? Is that what's causing this? Okay, Lord, how am I to respond to this, all of these things, right? But we know that we can have confidence in God that He is just and kind and merciful. And whatever it is, if it doesn't work out the way you think that petition or prayer should work out, God has always been glorified and just. He is glorified and is just. And will continue to be, through all eternity, glorified and just. So the further of His work, His kingdom, His kindness, His mercy through all generations, through whatever you're going through. God, his grace is sufficient for you, and it furthers his glory and the growth of his kingdom, even when we can't see it. And we struggle with that. We're like, why did that person die? Why am I suffering from this sickness? Why is my spouse suffering so hard? Or why is this and why is that? Pray, take the petitions before God, and then rest in His work. Next, we have the sermon. And that that is, the sermon is the gospel. It is the word applied through teaching. Pastors and elders who lead your Lord's Day service are standing before the bride. That's the church. That's all of you. And we are representing Christ the bridegroom, to his bride. Now this is serious. In James 3, James warns us that teachers, those are those who are ordained to the call, will receive a stricter judgment. You know, sometimes as I'm preparing this, I can think, oh, it applies here, it applies there, but man, I know it applies to me. But God has called me, ring as his representative you the word you hear can read it or if we're light we have a deacon who's been ordained come up and read the word they're, they're ordained to liturgical service don't see the man first of all we're under strict judgment and second hear God's word. Hear God's word. We need to also understand that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, that, that this is the passage we're familiar with, you know, husbands and wives. But we also know that it is about Christ and his church. In Ephesians 5 26, it says, speaking Um, of both the husband and Christ that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And in verse 32 it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. And this is important. We also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So those who are ordained to liturgical service are men and are fearfully representing Christ to the bride that is you, the church. We see that when they bring the word to you, they do so as Christ does. I want us to consider a couple other things here just briefly. In Isaiah 49, verse 2, it says this, And he has made my mouth, and the he is God, and, and the my is Jesus, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me, and he has made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. And then we also see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, he had in his right hand seven star- stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in strength. You see, the word of God is sharp and brings judgment or blessing. You know, in Romans 13, we see as it relates to the civil magistrate, it says this in Romans 13 4, but for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. If we are unrepentant, we should be afraid of those who bear the sword as the magistrate. But we should also be afraid of those who bear the sword of the Spirit because they can bring God's judgment to us. We can react to a sermon in one of two ways. We can act as it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Hear this. Now, when they heard this, now this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Remember, they're cut to the heart. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. Or we can be recipients like those that heard the great sermon that Stephen preached. Listen to this. Remember, the first group, they were cut to the heart, right? And they said, What can we do? Repent, be baptized. And their sins were forgiven. They were brought into the church more than 3,000 that day. But here, Stephen, a short time later, he's preaching a great sermon. And and Acts chapter 7 verse 54 says this, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. So when we hear God's word, especially here, especially when it's preached, especially when it's read in God's presence, we need to say what then must we do? And not gnash our teeth, and become embittered towards God. Here's an important thing. We need to remember that God's word never comes back empty. It is powerful. It does bear fruit. But not always right away. Because there where they were gnashing their teeth and their, their hearts were cut, and that caused them to rile up, conspire and even take Stephen's life in verse 58 of Acts 7 it says this that they cast him that is Stephen out of the city and they stoned him they killed him and what does it say next it says and the witnesses those are those who were saying yes kill Stephen they laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul now God's word It's always efficacious. It always brings change. It always has an impact. It's going to bring grace and mercy, or it's going to bring judgment. Sometimes we're real impatient. You realize that that Saul, when he stood there, and you know, when you're standing there and you're the one guarding the coats, he's standing there, and he's in agreement with all those that are killing Stephen right there. And we know this. That God intervened by the work of Jesus Christ to transform Paul. And it wasn't five minutes later. It wasn't an hour later. It wasn't even a week later. No, Paul took this and he went and he persecuted the church with vigor. And God called him and transformed him. God's word was at work. Jesus Christ saved him from those sins. And God uses him to teach all of us through the scriptures the spirit gave him the word don't be impatient know that god's word changes lives finally we see that during this time of ascension that we are to bring the tribute offering which represents the gifts of what our lives produce and multiply leviticus 2 1 says when anyone offers a grain offering to yahweh His offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, one of whom shall take in his hand a handful of fine flour of oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar. An offering made by fire, sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons, and is most holy of the offerings Yahweh has made. By fire. Now, I forgot to mention this earlier. When you see those passages where it talks about, it says burnt offering, that's a poor translation. That word there is ascension offering. So, kind of a key thing I didn't point out earlier, but I want to make sure that when you see that, it talks about the whole burnt offering. That word in Hebrew actually means to ascend and to go up. But here, part of that ascension is we see that that during that ascension time. And again, if you go back to Leviticus, there in 7 and 9, specifically 9, where it's laying this out, this pattern again, you do that tribute offering in there. Now, here too, the grain offering is not clear. This word grain offering, the Hebrew word men call, is a gift, a tribute offering, a present, an oblation, and then finally gets around to this idea of it being some kind of uh, food offering. But well, we need to understand that this is the tribute offering where we come and we give back to God out of his abundance to us. We are to give tribute to our king. It represents all of the works of our hands that we have done all week. It isn't just about, well, God says I've got to pay a certain amount, so I'm going to pay it. That, that, that money that we put into the offering, that is symbolic of everything you've done all week everything you've produced and and when you get into the meat of this you see that it's about your children it's about your household there's all these different things relative to this tribute offer all the works that you've done all week now here's what we have to remember is we can bring those works and if we didn't confess our sins we learned last week from isaiah chapter one that god won't accept those gifts until you've cleansed yourself by confession of sin, so you can do all your mighty works, and you can come into the house of God. If you don't confess your sin and you put it in the offering, it's not going to be a blessing to you. And of course, you know in the, in that we see that in Leviticus twenty seven it speaks of the tithe, and it specifically says that it should be one tenth given to Yahweh, and all that we produce that God has given us increase in. You know, and this doesn't go just at the early stages of Israel's history. We see it again in 2 Chronicles 31, That passage, near that passage we were reading this morning. We see that, that um, as Hezekiah there was bringing forth and reestablishing worship, it says that after they went through all these processes— confession and the ascension and all these offerings that they brought that their their tithe in we see at Nehemiah's restoration in Nehemiah chapter 10 again at the restoration of worshipping rightly they brought their tithes and offerings in verse 37 and in Nehemiah 13 and then it says all of the people did this and God blesses his people for their obedience so God blesses us for our obedience when we bring the tithe and our tribute to our king. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says Yahweh of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be no room enough to receive it. Don't be stingy. God says... Whatever brings increase, whatever increase I've given you, bring it to God. And I'm going to bring blessing to you. Remember, he's already forgiven your sin. He's bringing you in here. He's elevated you into his presence. He's asked you, tell me all you need. And then he says, now, you've you've asked me for your needs, your petitions, right? And now, in faith, you trust him. You're going to give those tithes as a representation of how he's blessed you. Even if it seems like, I don't know how this is all going to work, give your tithes, trust God, and he's going to bring blessing. He wants to do this. There's even judgment against God's people when we don't tithe. We can see in Malachi chapter 3 where it says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? God says to the people of Israel in tithes and offerings. Now, sometimes people say, well, you know, that's all Old Testament. But Jesus himself in Matthew 23, beginning in verse 23, speaks judgment against the Pharisees, where he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he says, you know, you, you you bring all these special ties these really technical ones and you do that but you're you're forgetting the rest of the law you're not repenting of your sins you're not living according to God's word and he says you ought to have done both don't neglect one for the other finally we see that there are free will offerings that we can bring in during this time of ascension and giving to God in Leviticus 22:29 it says when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to Yahweh offered of your own free will. And we see this again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where it says, In that great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely giving. So we we need to understand that, you know, and you've heard me say, if you've come into, uh, Membership here, you'll say, you rarely hear me talk about paying your tithes and giving your offerings unless it shows up in the text. So, people of God, pay your tithes 10%. God blesses you, and you just want to give to God something of thanksgiving, more. Give freely, give generously. People of God, we are to sing, read, hear, submit, be cut up, and rearranged by God's word, and thereby be conformed to Jesus. We are to do this because of the work of Jesus Christ. And because of this, we can boldly go before our God's presence, bringing petitions, prayers, and tribute to our God and our King. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the living word, to save us to transform us to your glory. Help us by your gracious hand to believe that you have called us into your holy presence every week and even now this morning. Strengthen us to submit and to demonstrate our love of you by obeying your holy word each day. We ask this for Jesus' sake, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.